Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, Today I'm just going to do a bit of a short episode uh, to do a bit of state of play and then I'll talk a little bit about uh, some other games that I'm poking at uh, right now. Um, So uh, with that brief intro out of the way, let's get to the episode. Okay, so over the last uh, week we have had... Um, well, I had four ske- uh, sessions scheduled, but unfortunately my, my uh, pup was having an upset stomach on Sunday, so I had to uh, cancel that game to just monitor what was going on with her. Um, but uh, what, did, uh, well, what, what was played was uh, two sessions of uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, second edition uh, in our Night Below campaign, and then um, one, in, one session of our Pathfinder second edition uh, game. Um, and... Um, I'll do these in reverse chronological order because the the Pathfinder one is foremost in my mind. I gotta say the the Pathfinder two session um, and what what happened. So this was a chat part two of a two part uh, series or or a story called uh, the Fisherman's Daughter. And for those who may want to watch it on YouTube, I won't spoil too too much here. But suffice it to say that this one um, involved uh, quite a bit more uh, combat uh, than the previous session, and also some uh, problem solving, uh, because I, uh, um, yeah, I just, I mean, it, um, it was something that um, I, I made a decision, because the, that particular campaign is being played in the setting of uh, Innistrad, the gothic horror plane from the Magic the Gathering camp setting, or Magic the Gathering uh, products, I guess, um, it's, um, yeah, so it's kind of a Ravenloft if you're an AD&D fan, or I guess uh, Ravenloft's through to a 5th edition now. Um, the It has a gothic horror kind of vibe to it, very Ravenlofty kind of vibe, but there's a couple of different, a couple of little different ways it twists it, um, so it, it really is its own setting, and I kind of like doing that instead of... Um, uh, one thing I, I like is that it's not like a Dreadlord. Uh, the, the conceit in uh, the Ravenloft setting uh, that there's a all-powerful evil thing that is being kept trapped in there. It's a very, very cool thing, but it's not an idea I really wanted to grapple with. I don't, I, it's strange credulity to think that um, the uh, heroes would ever meaningfully win uh, in uh, Ravenloft, and, and I, the, for this particular campaign, the guys wanted to play heroes. You know, They wanted to play uh, heroes to take up arms against the dark. So, uh, so, so anyway, we... Um, yeah, we had a um, our second session, and it went uh, the I, I, hmm, I the guys seemed to struggle a little bit piecing together kind of what happened, or even that that's what they needed to do. And I don't know if that's because we play in the morning, or because we I, I wasn't clear enough that there was alternatives to fighting here. Um, it's it's tricky, like in um, in any role playing game when you're trying to you know present a, a scenario or uh, an encounter that cannot be fought out of, you know, it's, it's hard to know how firm of a hand you need to have on that rudder to make it clear to the players that, uh, you know, you, this is not where you can uh, fight your way out. Like you, you, if you fight your way out of here, you're going to die. And, um, I tried to, when we, we actually, it's, it, it worked out. Um, it worked out with a little, I think I was a little heavy handed, uh, more so than what I would uh, would have uh, uh, otherwise liked, but I mean, I'm, I was really satisfied with how it worked out. And the I gotta say, the tactical fights, holy shit, that game's good for that. Um, really exciting stuff. And um, it's been a while since we've uh, run Pathfinder Two, so 
it was a really nice, um, we had a nice variety of different kinds of fights uh, in, in this particular session. We had some scraps with a whole bunch of uh, minions, which was, uh, they had other environmental issues to make things different for, difficult for the, uh, for the heroes. It's not a spoiler to say that's where we opened up with the hero, the heroes uh, who are all fifth level, all fighting a bunch of ghouls. And there was like 15 ghouls, maybe 12 ghouls. So it was a big, you know, big group of them. And, uh, yeah, it went really well. I mean, it was cool. There, there were ghouls who were trying to knock the guys out of rowboats, uh, who were trying to pull them out. Guys made really clever use of their abilities, which was exactly what you want to see in that kind of crunch-heavy or tactical-heavy game, where the players are be able to like, ah, here's my you know special ability I had. One guy had had a spell that put an air bubble around his head. One guy summoned a naiad, a, a water spirit, and used her ability to sort of like push the guy back to the surface of, of the water, which was pretty pretty cool, pretty clever. Uh, so I was really. Yeah, I mean, I was really satisfied and to the point where it actually got me. Uh, I yanked out all my Pathfinder second stuff and made sure to uh, um, snag a copy. I, I I don't know. So normally with my subscriptions, I get PDF copies of, of everything that I, I order from Paizo, but I guess their core rulebooks, you don't get that. And then they've been having an issue with uh, Chrome on the Paizo website the last little while. So I had to... Um, uh, I had to go into Internet Explorer and then <laughs> log in and order a copy. But anyway, I got a copy of, I finally got my copy, my PDF copy of uh, the Game Mastery Guide, which should be at my place in the next couple of days. Anyway, the physical copy, they had to fuck up in their, on their order as well too. So I, I'm getting my Game Mastery Guide a lot later than everyone else was, which is, you know, I mean, I got my Pathfinder core rulebook uh, quite early. So can't really complain there. Sometimes it breaks in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, but anyway, the, the long and the short of it is, is that the session really... It really um, reminded me why I love that game. You know, I mean, it's. Um, I think there are other fantasy games that are currently um, a little higher up just because they do other things uh, and they're they're closer to what I want to do in a lo- in an ongoing campaign. But for uh, short stories or for one one shot sessions or or at least for very story heavy uh, campaigns, uh, man, Pathfinder Two is a good game. Uh, solid uh, combat. Characters have really interesting things to do. Um, I, I think I feel like it still is quite immersive. It doesn't feel like it is uh, too gamist. Um, the and I mean part of that may have been because I was specifically designing the encounters to avoid that feeling because we've had that happen before. Um, but yeah, great. And I, I love that the uh, game mastery guide already. Like I've, I've read through the um, PDF very briefly already I'm finding a ton of really good ideas and good suggestions in there in particular how to structure random encounters there's some great uh, or great rules for like building uh, specific types of encounters and I find that the uh, because of the way the math works in uh, Pathfinder it's it is a lot better the like challenge rating and they actually call it levels in uh, in Pathfinder 2 they don't call it challenge rating but the levels of uh, adversaries in it uh, it is a lot easier to track um, you know, relative difficulty for an encounter uh, in that than it is in, say, 5th edition or three, third and 3.5 because it's just those games, the CR or challenge rating system was always a little fucked. But um, but in any event, the, um, yeah, really good session. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next one. I've been brainstorming uh, on some ideas. And what we're doing in that campaign is we're just running a series of individual uh, adventures, like as if it's like a, you know, um, a pulp serial, like a, or a, a pulp uh, series of short stories. 
Uh, I, I've honestly got kind of Solomon Kane in my mind when I'm uh, when I'm thinking about how like what what would be appropriate for an adventure, uh, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really um, the first session was okay. Uh, it was only one thing, but this one really was was great. I I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The guys did me good, really good use of their abilities. Uh, they, yeah, I mean, it really showed why that system uh, shines. You know, why that system can be, or how that system can shine. Uh, yeah, really satisfying session. I'm looking forward to the next one. And then the other two were our AD and D sessions, and those were a not a mixed bag, but. Uh, one of them was really solid. Um, uh, it was them exploring the, uh, they had a couple, what did they do last session? Oh yeah, they had, uh, so the, the, the whole last couple sessions were actually dedicated to a charity. Um, well, partly, I mean, partly prompted by a charity donation, uh, made by, uh, one of our other players, Brandon Hale, uh, Brandon, made a donation and selected as his reward this uh, suggest-a-theme thing that I'm, I do. And what it does is you um, he prompted me with the theme, uh, the uh, Dreams of Dogs Made Flesh. And what I decided to do is um, to write an adventure where the players, it, it fit in with our AD&D campaign. At that point, the players were still you know, making their way through um, Heathertop Warren trying to deal with uh, the goblins that are there. And they had spotted a bugbear on the second level below. And they'd also spotted that there was a bunch of information, a bunch of, um, or not information, but there was a bunch of uh, detail about uh, um, the elves, the, that uh, the same tribe that uh, one of our player characters comes from. Uh, they seem to be, this is an ancient structure underneath this. So the players were obviously keen on going under, but they were quite beaten up. So they didn't want to, you know, just uh, dive in. They decided to camp in the actual structure. They, they picked a tower made themselves comfortable there, and then uh, went to sleep. Well, when they went to sleep, they got pulled into this dream of some kind of demonic um, hound, of some uh, uh, something I was describing as being the consumer of souls, um, and that drew strength from that. And they were cast back in the dream. They were cast back to the time when the elves fractured, when the elves, the the um, dark elves, fell to a loth and... Uh, yeah, and then so the players uh, kept having this recurring dream. They'd, they'd get to a certain point, they'd die, and then they would have to make a save, and then they would um, lose some constitution. And then in the second session, same carries on. Players start trying different uh, gripes. And there's a little bit of grousing from the players at first, um, but very little, you know. Like, I mean, some players, it's a real credit to the players uh, that uh, I'm fortunate to play with. That they don't, they're not the type to like, well, this one way doesn't work, so fuck this. This is a bullshit encounter. You know, like they, they definitely know that, okay, well, this is not working. So what can we do here? How can we read this? And, um, it definitely led to some really interesting, um, uses of their, their abilities and, and, and how they sort of structured the encounter, uh, how, or how they chose to try and approach the encounter. Um, the, you know, our, our uh, thieves were all sneak in our, um, what do you call it? Our, uh, um, mages were making good use of their spells, and what they noticed is that the thing they were facing it was uh, it was actually getting injured. You know, it, it was not healing injuries between dreams, so they were slowly chipping away at it. And they made some really good plays at the end, and, and they managed to get themselves out of the dream. Um, and then, so they woke up, and and uh, you know they were rested. They had healed a bit. Uh, they decided to start trying to make their way out, and what they found was that the goblins had set all sorts of traps and had set an ambush. 
uh, because the, I mean, they don't know why uh, yet, but, um, you know, they did kill everyone in the first level and then just went to sleep in, in a tower. So, um, yeah, I mean, they faced this bugbear who was wielding a an elven bow, and it was a brutal encounter. Like, I, what I had done is I'd adapted... I, I've been struggling. I mentioned before I've been struggling uh, in the last episode with the uh, traps in AD&D. So I, I did actually make use of some of the traps from Ruins of Undermountain. And holy shit, are they deadly. Oh my god. Wow. Uh, the trap, that uh, like the leg trap isn't so bad. Especially because, I mean, the characters have access. Characters have pretty high stats, uh, relatively speaking, to other AD&D characters. And they have access to Astonishing Fortune. So like the the opportunity to avoid some of the uh, tr- like single... Ability check traps are pretty high, but there was one trap that that um, Ed Greenwood introduced in Ruins of Undermountain that involved three separate checks, and uh, if you failed any one of them, you were caught up in it, and then uh, someone had to cut you down. There was it was a wire around the neck like a garret, and uh, <laughs> the players did not care for that at all. Uh, and I mean, like there was one uh, that probably might have died had we not sort of like nudged the the. We didn't metagame uh, per se, but we just chose to give a really generous interpretation of what this one player might do. Because one of the characters, yeah, for sure would have died. He would have choked out uh, away from the rest of the party. Now, I mean, they separated the party. Unfortunately, uh, the, the fight that was going on, there was no communication. There was great communication in the dream. The guys talked about a plan and then implemented the plan. In the midst of the fight, though, um, the... I guess just not panic, but like just the, the chaos of the, of combat sort of set in and there wasn't, um, there wasn't any communication. So the guys were a couple of party were one of the party was, uh, no, two of them, two of them were dropped by the bugbear. Uh, cause I mean, a composite boat, you know, with a, in a bugbear's hand, it's not going to end well for, uh, for player characters, uh, especially not first or second level characters. Uh, but the, and where we ended that session was with one of, one of them is dying within 10 minutes. Um, he's bleeding out if he doesn't get healing spells. And the other one is dying within the day if he doesn't get healing spells. So we are, yeah, things are, are a little scary uh, when we left on that. It was a really challenging encounter. And uh, I I mean, there was a couple, yeah, I mean, like there's there's a couple of things that um, I I will do differently next time. Uh, for one, like I actually forgot to trigger a trap at one point and then just triggered it uh, on the next round. And uh, one of the players called bullshit on that. And then, um, and I don't think of, that was, I don't think it was fair, but I mean, I understand why he called bullshit, but I mean, I don't think it was, uh, I, I'm not worried about that. And the, another one co- tried to interrogate the fiction of the game was like, well, hold on. If this trap was going to be triggered for me at, at a dwarf height, why would it also be triggered for a human height? And I mean, again, like that's, I, I think that I don't, I don't have to get myself into the fiction too much to picture what the specific design of this thing is to just say, look, it's going to trigger for whoever goes through there. Full stop. Um, more to the point, they didn't actually look, no one looked for traps. They were aware that there were traps in the ground. Uh, and this is the first, um, set of traps that I've kind of, I, I've made use of in the, uh, in the campaign. And, um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was brutal, uh, series of encounters um, we did have an interesting bit where the players were, were not sure, you know, uh, I used a lot of traps and what I, I kind of reinforced the, like a lot of uh, these bear traps that were hidden under the dirt. And what I told the guys is like, well, like, you know, you can make, um, you know, uh, assumptions about the setting 
you know, they're not going to, this isn't a video game, they're not going to have an unlimited supply of these things necessarily, but, you know, um, yeah, I mean, you, you can judge from there. Um, what I think this will do is, uh, or what my plan was, was with this is, this is the first time they faced um, an adversary that can only be harmed by magic. That was in the dream. And this is the first time they face something that has magic resistance. And in AD&D 2nd, it's actually a flat number. In AD&D 1st and in Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, it is relative to the level. The chance of, of a spell not working is relative to the level of the, uh, from the, uh, for, relative to the level of the caster. You know, how close they are to level 12, uh, that'll tell you how, how likely the, the target is to resist it. AD&D 2nd doesn't do that. It's just a flat number. So you have a certain flat number of magic resistance. It might work. It might not. Um, I, I think that the, the relative number makes more sense, um, to be honest. Uh, and it makes like low level spells cast by high level characters matter differently. But, uh, for now I'm just going to leave it as is. I, I don't, I'm not really fussed, uh, especially because as characters get higher level, I'm, I'm sure there's a reason that they intended to keep it that way beyond just uh, simplifying things. So we'll see. Um, but that was, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a definitely a challenging encounter. We we have our Wednesdays when we find out whether the two, one of the two healers shows up, and we'll find out whether uh, they can actually, you know, uh, get a healing spell off. Um, one of them I know prepares two healing spells per day, so both characters can be saved. But uh, for, if he's not there, there's going to be some difficult decisions made here. Um, but what else? Oh, and the other thing is, is they hadn't, normally the guys had been saving one point of Astonishing Fortune, the narrative meta currency we use in that campaign. They've been setting it back just in case this kind of thing happens, but this time they didn't. And uh, when that character got that really shitty result that he was dying within a, a, a turn, within 10 minutes, um, he didn't have the ability to, to modify that. So tough. It was a tough encounter, you know, tough a couple of things. Uh, but I, mean, I think what the um, what this does is it it's definitely sets the stage for what's to come because uh, you know characters they've encountered a couple traps so far but it's only after they encounter one trap that then then they start actually making use of their fine traps abilities and like that's just a especially when we get into you know poison that kills almost immediately and stuff like that like that's gonna be it's not gonna be um, a good way of, uh, of approaching like the, the thieves in the party are incredibly valuable for identifying those traps. And even like for the players, uh, I, I would still give even a chance for certain players to be able to, uh, to examine and try and trigger traps beforehand. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, uh, so that, that, that was a harsh lesson, I think. And then also the value of, of magic items as well too. And, uh, it's, it is, hard one of the players mentioned that uh, well you know using identify is so uh is so hard it, it requires such a hard thing and my response was was like well yeah but i mean there's ways you can make use of these things and and see in the fiction like you can learn beyond just uh that like there's other ways you can learn whether something's magic like by using it you know if um if a creature that is not affected by uh unaffected by magic is affected by this thing you found that we've already you know uh, determine is a is a masterwork weapon because of the way I've described it. Um, you may not know what the special abilities are. You may not know what the you know if there are any. You may not know how to activate those. But you know you can learn through other means. And also, I mean, detect magic can also detect can, can tell you whether or not something's magic too. So you got more than one way of um, getting to the you know skin in that cat. I suppose is the uh, is the saying. But and anyway, yeah, it was good. I mean, it was uh, definitely a more 
challenging, uh, more challenging encounter than what the players are used to. I mean, although that campaign, they've really, really had the shit kicked out of them over and over and over again. So they just keep coming back for more, which is great. And uh, they made a pretty sweet uh, haul last time as well, too. Uh, so uh, like the previous week, so. So anyway, so that's it. I mean, AD&D is still going really well. I'm, I actually ordered myself. I enjoyed the trap so much. I ordered a copy of uh, Ruins of Undermountain, which will be uh, arriving sometime soon. Um, and then, um, yeah, and that, that was it because our, our Sunday session was canceled. The uh, state of play. I surf for that weird sound there, folks. <laughs> I think I hit something when I was trying to uh, end the last recording. So... Um, so that's a state of play right now. Um, what I also thought I'd mention is some of the games that I have uh, I have been focusing, or I guess not so much focusing on, but as uh, as like returning to. But I uh, uh, I mentioned in the last podcast how uh, well our first uh, session of uh, Cult uh, Divinity lost the uh, Cult uh, campaign. I guess that that we're running using the Dracula dossier uh, book. And man, that book's so cool. <laughs> I've been doing more prep work for that. Uh, I've prepared a, an additional uh, character as well too. And I've, I've got a, um, and this is gonna be a character to fit in one of the more modern day things. Um, I also will give a really big shout out to, or thank you, uh, to Pelgrane Press, because I uh, I didn't mention it on, uh, I don't think I, mentioned in the last podcast, and, and I certainly didn't mention it on air, but my copy of um, the EDOM files from Dracula Dossier, the, the thing that had all the adventures in it, um, but the pages actually started to fall out of it, uh, for, especially for the earlier uh, chapters, and I didn't want to gross about it too much, so I just I took a photo of it and uh, sent it to Pelgrim Press and said, hey, uh, is this a, a known problem, or did I just end up with a lemon? And apparently I just ended up with a lemon. Uh, and they very generously offered to send a replacement. So I've got a new copy of, uh, of that coming, which is pretty cool. But the rest of the adventures uh, in that thing seem like they would be really good options for, you know, uh, for playing uh, adventures with different settings, different characters, but in a, um, in a uh, more, uh, what do you call it, in, in part, as part of the same uh, ongoing campaign. So that's pretty cool i'm looking forward to uh hopefully if we if this first adventure does go well we can carry on um but the character i created is actually for a more modern day thing too because i thought it might be interesting to have a couple different groups uh going uh, that all relate to the same overall campaign uh without necessarily having specific connections that's kind of about the idea behind uh using edom files to link up with a modern day adventure is uh, it's kind of all about but um but i like that the other thing that uh, that happened, I guess, but since last session, is uh, my copies of Masks, the new generation, showed up, and I had ordered basically the you know the full set of the books and the uh, two player handouts, one of which is a conditions card kind of thing, which has like uh, some there are basically cards that are used as tokens or as uh, markers. Uh, for different conditions that your characters can get in the game, and then also for uh, what's called influence. It's a key part of the game. Uh, if you're not familiar with Masks, the New Generation, it is a uh, role-playing game set that is a story game uh, or powered by the Apocalypse game um, where you play members of a teenage superhero team. So it's like uh, you know Teen Titans or uh, Young Avengers or Runaways. And um, 
it's a I, like I've read it in a PDF before, and I really liked it, and I, I like the idea of it. I, I watched uh, an actual pl- or part of an actual play of it, and I didn't really like that. But I think that is, uh, in retrospect, that is more to do with the the actual group that was playing it than the game itself. Um, because I mean, I've got in my mind what I want to do with the game, and I just. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it was just uh, the, the sensibilities of what these people were getting out of the game is not what I think I would be getting out of the game. But um, in any event, having um, received the books and gone back through the books and printed off the uh, playbooks and stuff like that, if you're not familiar with Powered by the Apocalypse games, uh, what you do is you get uh, what's called a playbook, uh, and that's kind of like the um, the rough outline of what your character is, uh, is capable of. And... Um, what your, you know, for lack of a better comparator, what your class is. And then you uh, you make some selections to customize that character. And in this case, it's things like, you know, picking your powers and whatnot. But the types of playbooks you can choose from. And, you know, one thing I'll, I'll say too, like, so one of the things that, that I find is a little, and I, I, under, I, I think I understand why they do it, but for... Powered by the Apocalypse games, they there are certain decisions they make as far as nomenclature go that can prove a, a barrier for people trying to get into the game from other games, like choosing to, to call the actions that characters takes moves and uh, choosing to call them playbooks rather than like character sheets or, or something like that. Um, it's just and play sets instead of campaign types or campaigns. It's like. I guess if you're trying to distinguish yourself from another game, uh, another type of game, that's fine. Um, but I mean, it does just kind of, you know, uh, it can be something that car- that, that players can bounce off of, and I, I've, uh, and, and for no reason too. Like these things, are, I think, are very um, understandable. You know, um, the the especially in the games like, um, you know, uh, like uh, Cult uh, or like uh, uh, Masks, where the the actions you're taking, the moves you take. Are pretty like they're, they're. It's pretty clear what they are, and just understanding them as being something that is affecting a change in the fiction is a you know more so than just like a single swing of the sword or a single use of your your per, you know proficiency or your uh, perception skill. Um, that, that's what those games are. So you know that's just a little. It's a little aside, but I mean, it just I I, I find that. Uh, it, it, I'm not sure that it is necessary to, um, like, I get it, since there is an established nomenclature with Apocalypse World games, why people would continue to follow that, but it's, can, I think there are more people who would enjoy and, uh, and, you know, and enjoy the experience of playing these kinds of games, um, who are sometimes intimidated or just kind of put off by the crazy nomenclature. I know I was for a very long time, um, I just could not, I couldn't figure out what the fuck they meant by moves. And then once I, I sort of saw it played, uh, I, and actually that's not true. My, my gateway drug into Powered by the Apocalypse games was actually Blades in the Dark. And Blades in the Dark has a much different, it's a much, it is much closer to uh, a traditional game in the sense that you're, uh, you define what your actions are and then you go to the rules to figure out what it is. It's not so much you select a move from a preordained list and then ju- figure out what uh, what that is. It's it's a much more freeform uh, kind of game, much closer to what uh, traditional games do, where you roll the dice and then you interpret the results of a dice, be it hit, you know, fit, miss, uh, successful skill, successful step in an ongoing skill challenge, whatever. 
Um, but anyway, the um, in masks, it's got uh, there's about twenty or twenty one playbooks out at at the time of recording, and they're you know things like you know the um, the scion who is a, a child of a supervillain uh, and like a big time supervillain. There's a sidekick. There's a um, I think it's called a stranger or outsider, and basically what it is is uh, it's kind of like you know Miss Martian or like. Um, uh, Vision, where it's it's a or Iron Lad, I think Vision became Iron Lad. Anyway, in any event, it's a um, uh, a kid who uh, uh, who's just from another uh, completely different society, you know, and doesn't really know their way around. Uh, there's the bull, which is like a tough, you know, wears their heart on their sleeve kind of uh, character, and and a ton of other ones too. The delinquent, the um, the brain, the soldier, uh, and they're all just like each of them has little twists of. Um, where they they have different kind of sub mechanics, so you know playing one, uh, setting aside the fact that you can make each of those playbooks your own, there's a different mechanic to each of them too. Like the doomed, who's kind of like Raven uh, from uh, Teen Titans. Uh, I just I just love it. Like, it, and the reason I, I picked it up, to be honest, was because my uh, I've been struggling trying to find a, a good one on one game to play with my son. And playing Cult again recently, I had thought that City of Mist might be a good you know, a good step in that direction, although he's not a huge mythology fan, and he's not, uh, um, yeah, so, I mean, and he's not necessarily a big fan of, like, solving mysteries and stuff, but he is, I, I remember a couple, about a month ago or so, he uh, he had mentioned uh, how he had just finished rereading uh, the first uh, hardcover f- uh, book, or her first volume of uh, Teen Titans Earth 1, and that was uh, something that was written by Jeff Lemire and uh, drawn by uh, the Dodsons, by Terry Dodson, and uh, I think it's Rachel. For, I'm sorry if I got her name wrong, but it's the Do- I know their husband and wife uh, art team, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it as well too. But it was he's not really a big reader, so for him to have actually gone back to it and taken a second pass at it, that was really cool, and that really kind of got me thinking. Since I'd, I'd been thinking about um, you know these these. Uh, story games or the, the games where you're having a conversation to find out what happened and thinking back to my son actually really really enjoyed the uh, Marvel Heroic game the one that uh, was published by um, Margaret Weiss and uh, Trace, uh, Margaret Weiss Productions and uh, it, it got me thinking like to the point where he actually asked me to forward him a PDF copy of the game so that he could run it for his, uh, uh, his friends and that's really like he does not run last time he did that was with a Star Wars game and then his friends didn't really grok it so he kind of dropped out of, of being a DM but uh, man oh man like um, the that says a lot about what he enjoys when he, you know superhero stuff uh, and uh, a game with looser things you know uh, to be honest like my son I think at best humors me when we uh, when we role play together which is why I try and find something that I know he's really gonna you know dig on and I don't think he really was in uh, was particularly, you know, um, enamored of our the last campaign we ran was a um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Guildmasters or the Guildmasters Guide to Ravnica. It was a campaign set in Ravnica, and he just wasn't. He was playing a, a low level wizard, so I mean, mechanically, his character was kind of shitty, or at least not super powerful. And um, this, I think, would be 
a much better fit uh, for uh, uh, for the kind of game that he likes. And also, I, I really like the idea of the game being a conversation, too. Like, I mean, I want to interact with my boy, and I want to be able to give him an opportunity to kind of explore uh, not only the, um, the setting and whatnot, too, but also his character. And I think... Uh, well, not I think. I mean, Masks does a really, really good job of doing that, and and in a easily, you know, uh, and it provides a very easy buy-in to how you're going to run the game. And um, yeah, I mean, and I actually like I actually ordered in uh, for him too. I gave him homework, uh, which was the first volume of Young Avengers. Uh, I snagged that for him because I wanted him to have. Uh, uh, get get an, another teen book. I thought it'd be something he'd enjoy anyway, but also to kind of get him in the teen heroes kind of mind and see what could be done with him. And um, I'm really, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited about that one as well too. I think, and then what, what my sort of long-term plan, we've been trying to get together with two other friends who are gamers uh, on our, uh, on the online games too, to see if we can get together with the two of them. Uh, but that's always, that always proves to be really tricky with everyone's schedules but um, what I'm gonna uh, what I'm gonna do, I think, is if we can get our first session, our first father and son session off, then what I'm gonna do is have them be guest star heroes. You know, we'll show up and have them be a guest star for a special session, and that would also be a really make for a really fun uh, session. And for those two gamers, neither of them have played it, and I don't think either of them have played a uh, uh, story game uh, yet. But I know that they have played a. Uh, they both played Legend of the Five Rings, the most recent version, the, the Fantasy Flight one, and that's got story game elements to it. So I think they'll really enjoy it. I think that they, everyone will be on board for that. It's a cool, um, yeah, it's just, it's just an easily intelligible uh, setting and kind of, you know, uh, set up for a, for a game. And yeah, so anyway, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. And even that the whole, like, uh, game is a conversation thing I'm, I'm really enjoying and I, the, I mentioned before on a podcast about the or an episode about the uh, muscle confusion in the DM brain being a good thing and, uh, and it definitely is you know like running these different types of games that require a different way of approaching the fiction and challenges and so forth uh, even just like doing a difference between um, AD&D and Pathfinder 2nd uh, it's it's good to be you know force your brain to think about how to run or how to tell stories in a different way and how to present uh, challenges and adventures for the for the players in different ways. There's definitely ideas you can take from both. The one thing you definitely want to watch for though is when you're trying to apply sensibilities of one to another, where there's just there are reasons why that would not fit or why that why that would not work. You know, see my previous podcast on uh, <laughs> running. Uh, Barrel Maze with uh, Pathfinder when I was trying to run it like an old school game that that just did not work terribly well. Um, but anyway, but that's sort of the state of things right now. It's it's uh, I, I'm excited about the upcoming games. Um, I have discovered there is a new secret game too that I have been reading quite a bit about, uh, but I'm not really ready to. I kind of want to spring it on my players, um, and I, uh, I I'm not quite ready or I'm not quite sure when I'm going to do that just yet. But uh, it's a game that I am pretty excited about I uh it's yeah I'm looking forward to recording the podcast about this particular game because it it reminds me in many ways of it is a newer game uh but it reminds me of some of the games that I really loved from the 80s and 90s 
where they told the story through publication. And that, I mean, I can understand from a certain perspective why that would piss people off where you're like, fuck, just tell me the whole world. You know, don't don't be parsing it out so I have to piece it together, you know, over the course of, of some a bunch of supplements and figure out what the hell is actually going on and what the world, you know, uh, the, the setting is, is all about. But you know what? I mean, for this particular game, I'm really, really enjoying it. I, I think it's, eh, you know, that that mad feverish, you know, three books open or four books open trying to read one thing and then referring back to another thing to try and confirm, see if it confirms your understanding of the setting or, or whatever. Um, it's pretty fun, you know. It, it reminds me of what uh, we used to do in, in like, say, the... Um, the D&D Gazetteers, the original uh, Known World or Mistara Gazetteers, uh, the uh, the setting or the, the stuff from um, uh, the White Wolf games used to do that as well. Um, yeah, and it just I, I just really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm really enjoying this kind of, you know, um, archaeology or storyline archaeology that you're having to do to as you're reading through these books. That's It's really, it's enormously... Uh, gratifying. It's fun as a, as a DM. So, because um, I mean, like you know, players get to have the story told to them over the course of the um, course of their uh, campaigns. But for this one, it's it's even more so. It, it's uh, it's my turn. It's my turn to, to really learn stuff as we go along. And I understand why some DMs might be pissed about that, or that may not be the the way they uh, enjoy having a, a setting doled out to them. But as a as a change of um, you know. Uh, change of uh, of what do you call it? Um, change of c- scenery or change of approach. I, I'm really enjoying it as a refreshing new way of engaging with a, a setting, or maybe like an old way of engaging with a setting more so than uh, than you know, uh, yeah. Then then uh, I, I don't find it to be frustrating or tired or anything like that. So yeah, looking forward to uh, uh, to recording a podcast about that once I finally get that sucker to the tables. But anyway. That is the uh, the plans for going forward. This coming week, we've got uh, let's see here. We've got uh, AD and D tomorrow, and uh, on Friday we have um, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea on Saturday morning, and I'm super excited about that session. Really, I, I'm yeah. I've I've got some some plans to do in right now that I'm I'm very excited to to explore with the guys. And then on Saturday or Sunday, Sunday, we are back to Dracula Dossier. And we're down actually two of the four players uh, from that series. So I'm not sure yet whether we're going to... We're going to play something. I just don't know whether we're playing uh, that or whether we're going to play something different. i got to think about that between... I really would like to play that because I... I, uh, Man, I love that game, um, and I'm enjoying this story as we're going along. So, I guess we'll have to see. I don't know. We'll, um, I'll, I'll see. I mean, that's a couple of days. That's a problem. That is two other games away. So I'll deal with that uh, then. So anyway, that's it for that seg for uh, this segment. Let's move on to the outro. And I think that's it for uh, for this week. So uh, for those listening at home, thank you so much for. Joining me for another episode of the podcast, uh, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this episode, please don't hesitate to shoot me a voicemail on uh, Anchor. You can uh, shoot me an email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter 
at Dungeon Musings. You can also go to the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel and on any of our recent videos you can find a link to the Dungeon Musings Discord channel where you can find uh, myself and a whole bunch of other cool people. I guess I'm, I'm by virtue of that classification I'm including myself in a cool person thing. I didn't mean to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find a bunch of a bunch of cool chat going on uh, on there as well. And we have uh, channels dedicated to all the games we run in the channel, as well as a bunch of other stuff like finding groups. Um, and um, yeah, I think otherwise that is that. So thanks again for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed. Until next time, happy gaming.